My name is Steve Canfield. It'll be my privilege to share with you here during these days. And uh, we're glad to be back here in this area. We were just um, a few weeks ago in uh, Johnson City at uh, Heritage Baptist. Um, our scheduling department doesn't really do very well. We went from here, from Johnson City, to Lebanon, Pennsylvania, and then back to here. So we need to talk to them just a little bit. And, uh, but that's the way it is. My wife, Debbie, this is my wife, Debbie. Debbie, if you'll stand. Um, Debbie and I have been married for 40 years. Is that right? 40 years. Um, we have uh, six children, all girls except the first five. <laughs> and uh, that keeps life exciting. We have 15 grandchildren and uh, one in the oven. Uh, and so that's going to probably continue to grow. Our youngest daughter, our only daughter, just got married two months ago, so she hasn't even started yet. So we'll probably add a few more to uh, that particular number. But we're glad. Uh, for the last 40 years, we've been traveling across the country in churches just like yours. I'm sharing this message, the truth of revival, that we're so thrilled to be able to share here in these moments today. We're going to um, introduce our team to you tonight, our team members from all over the United States, uh, from California to uh, Virginia to, do I have anybody from Florida this year? Okay, yeah, Florida. Anyway, um, all across the country, and you'll meet them tonight um, and get to know them a little bit better um, and uh, take some time that way. T this morning, I want to talk a little bit about the message of revival. If you don't have one of those little green books, team, grab a few of those, and if you didn't get a copy of this little green book, then um, lift your hand, and they'll give you that as they come by. We'll make sure everybody has that. If you don't have a pencil, um, they have some pencils there. Um, you need something to write with. This is kind of the, the workbook for these days. Um, we're going to cover it all this morning uh, because this dear brother here in the third row asked me to do that, to cover it all this morning, so I'm going to try to do that. No, uh, this is uh, the whole plan of these days, a process that God wants to take us through. And, and revival, we're going to talk just a, a little bit about that this morning um, because revival Revival is a very misunderstood, misused term in our culture. Uh, I talked to your pastor yesterday, and, and uh, your church doesn't do this, but many churches have uh, a yearly revival. They call it a yearly revival. And, and what it really is, is is a week of meetings. You know, revival here every night except for Monday. Um, you know, they, they've kind of scheduled that on their, on, their, on their calendar. Revival is not something you can put on your calendar. Revival is not a team coming to a place. It's not a preacher coming to a place. Revival is God coming to a place. Revival is God at work. The word revival, renew, vival is life. So revival is new life. We talk about in our culture revival as being evangelism. Evangelism is the byproduct of revival. Evangelism is, is, is great. We need to be practicing evangelism. But evangelism flows out of a revived life. When God's people get revived, their response is they want to talk about Christ. I was in a meeting some time ago. A man came and he said, I've been a Christian 20 years. I've witnessed two times in 20 years. He said, both of them this week. What was happening was God was reviving his life, and so he wanted to share his faith with others around him. So, so revival is for believers. Evangelism is for the lost. Revival is for God's people. And, and, and we've seen in our nation three times in our history where God has met in nationwide revival. We call those the Great Awakenings, where God came down and impacted an entire nation for Christ. It's been a long time. In fact, since 1857 was the last one. Long time since that has happened. But there's never been, in my lifetime at least, a greater need for that. 
and, and we look at the culture and the scenario in our life today, we realize we need not just different political leaders, not just different financial institutions. We need God to visit the church. And as God visits his people and sends revival, that results in an awakening that impacts everyone. There was a, a, a revivalist of days gone by named Gypsy Smith. He would come into a town, and before he would have a series of meetings, he would go to the main street of town, draw a circle, step inside that circle, and say, God, send revival to this circle. And that needs to be our prayer. Revival is, we, we didn't provide, bring revival with us. It's not in our uh, semi-truck, or you see our traders out in back. You say, wow, what a great place to vacation. We drive past your house, say, what a great place to live, um, because um, we live in those about eight, nine months out of the year. And we didn't bring it with us. Some of you have been kind enough to keep our team members, put up with our team members, I mean, put our team members up, excuse me, um, in, in your homes, and, and you'll find real quickly that we didn't bring it. It's not in our suitcases. We're, we're here, as Darren said, just to believe God with you, to pray with you, to obey God with you, to believe God with you, to do the same thing in our life we're believing God to do in yours. And that starts by all of us stepping inside that circle. You watch this little skit kind of illustrates um, that, that truth. Now what do we have here? Huh. Looks like a gold-plated hula hoop. That's interesting. Bet it was left here by some rich kid. I can picture him now. Oh, Daddy, I misplaced my gold-plated hula hoop that you gave me for my fifth birthday. <laughs> uh, I used to use one of these when I was a kid. They used to call me the hip master of disaster. I wonder if I still have the hips for it. Hmm. Might as well give it a shot for old time's sake. Wait a second. Somebody watching this? I mean, is this being recorded? I don't want this ending up on YouTube. That would be embarrassing. Besides, this isn't really funny. At least, not yet. Oh dear. Oh, what's this? Oh, left a note. If you want revival, step into the circle and pray. Oh God, the one standing inside this circle is the one who stands in the greatest need of a return of your powerful, peaceful, reviving presence. So please send revival to this circle. Okay, that's not really funny. In fact, it sounds rather serious. Huh. Maybe it's not a rich kid's hula hoop, but a heavenly hula hoop, and it was left here for some mysterious heavenly purpose for me to discover. Hmm. Yeah, like maybe it's a spiritual booster or transformer. I step inside the circle, and then I'm like Pastor Mark the next day. Or maybe it's a cinerator. I step inside the circle, and it zaps the sin right out of me. <laughs> I know a few people who could use that. <laughs> or maybe it's like a spiritual emotion intensifier. Like if Chris Tomlin, Matt Redman, David Crowder, and Pastor Tony were all leading worship at the same time and all of their spiritual passion was focused into this little circle so that when I step into it, I'm suddenly overwhelmed by a transport of emotive energy and the exhilaration of spiritual vibrations. Or maybe it's like the spiritual version of a magic lamp. Yeah. I step inside the circle, ask God for revival, and then God gives me all the things he knows I really want. <laughs> like an iPhone 7, a cool car, an office on the golf course. Yeah, this circle has some serious potential. All right, well, might as well give it a shot. Whew. 
Ah, just kidding. Ah, uh, that would have been funny if somebody's watching. Oh, well. <laughs> All right, let's see. Magic words. All right. Oh, God, the one standing inside this circle is the one who stands in the greatest need of a return of your powerful, peaceful, reviving presence. So please send revival to this circle. And after you're done with that, can you let me know how many wishes I have so I can prioritize my list? <laughs> Am I doing something wrong? Is this thing broke? <sighs> well, I don't have all day to stand inside a circle and pray for revival. <sighs> I'm a pretty busy man. In fact, <whistles> Siri is telling me I have three important meetings today. You know, revival, it's kind of disappointing. Oh God, I've never needed anything more right now than the return of your presence in my life. My heart is cold and hard and I confess that I have been angry and bitter and selfish and so full of pride. If you don't come and sort this mess out, I don't have any other options. Please send your reviving presence to this desperate sinner in this little circle. This is just the beginning, isn't it? Thank you, Lord. Let it begin in me. Well, if we're going to meet with the Lord and step inside that circle, it's not going to be in arrogance. It's going to be in brokenness. I'm going to ask uh, the teenagers, if you're a junior high, senior high young person, to stand, and you're going to slip out with some of our team, and you're going to go someplace. Where are you going, Nolan? That way is the normal team? Youth room, all right, that'd be a good place to go. So if you're junior high, senior high, and you slip out, and you're going to spend the rest of the Sunday school time here uh, with Nolan and some of our team, you'll be joining us back here for the worship service. Take your little book there if you have it, and turn with me, if you would, to page number eight. We're going to start there. I just want to take this uh, Sunday school hour and just talk about some things to make sure we're all on the same page. Again, I think that the whole issue of revival is so, so misunderstood, so misunderstood. Um, under, so misused in our, in our culture today that um, I, I want to make sure we're all thinking correctly and thinking right because there's just so uh, many skewed ideas. So what does it mean? What is revival all about? What are these days all about? What, what is a revived life? How can I step inside that circle and really see God do something in my life? Where does that whole thing start um, in our life? I, I think as we, as we walk through this process, as I've um, spent um, a lot of time uh, processing this, I've, I've been in over 700 churches like yours in the last years in extended times like this, and I, I have a tendency to categorize people. That probably is not good, but I, I think there are, are, are four types of people. This is not in your book. This is just in addition. Uh, there, there are four types of people. One, I, I meet people every Sunday who, who don't know they need to be revived. I don't know how that can happen because of the culture. I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to turn the news on too many times to realize that we are in a, a difficult situation. But sometimes we just are, are oblivious to that. We don't, we don't see the greatness of our need. 
my wife and I, uh, we used to be at a church. I was on staff at a church, and I was a youth pastor, and uh, we were just young, and we had like one son who was uh, one years old, and Debbie was pregnant with our second son. And I thought all good youth pastors took their kids on canoe trips. I'd kind of heard that, so um, I decided to do that. So I, I got the teens together. We went down to this, this uh, stream, and, and they always put you in a real calm spot, right? Now, now my, wife, um, my wife is into safety. I'm into adventure. She's into safety, right? And so, so she's not, she was not real convinced this was real safe. I mean, she was pregnant. I had a one-year-old son, and I said, honey, it, it's very safe. And then I said, it's real romantic, you know, I kind of envisioned us strumming the banjo, floating down the Swanee River type thing, you know. And so she kind of bought into that one. So anyway, so, so we get in the boat, and, and uh, we start going down the, the river. And, and it, it, was, it was nice and calm, and that was fine. And, and then as we got a little ways down, the river started to narrow. As the river got more narrow, the water picked up speed. My wife turned to me and said, honey, slow down. I said, honey, you just go with the flow. I mean, there's no accelerator. There's no brake pedal here, right? And so anyway, so we pick up speed. We round a corner, a bend of the river, and up ahead, we see the romantic beauty of the white water, uh, splicing every place, um, and this huge rapids. And I, I didn't know enough to check on. I didn't know there was degrees of rapids and all this sort of thing. Anyway, so, so we're shooting through these rapids with my pregnant wife, my one-year-old son, and our canoe that's like this goes like this, right? And, and we, we flip, and now you have your basic crisis, okay? Um, you know, my wa pregnant wife is floating downstream. I grab my one-year-old son. I'm holding him above the water. I'm a foot below the water. I, I figured it was the safest place to, to be to my wife cool off. Anyway, and so um, we floated downstream. We all, we all survived. We continued on the trip. Um, Stephen was now cold. Debbie was now hot. Uh, and, and uh, you know, uh, but anyway, so my, my point is this. As, as we got in that canoe, as we started rounding those bends, we were totally unaware of what was ahead and didn't realize the danger of the next turn. And I think there are some Christians who are just living in kind of a, you know, I'm okay and it's not affecting me and, and, and my life's okay and, and, and don't realize that the next bend of the river I mean, we are in incredible, desperate need, and maybe some of us are just kind of in a, in a coma or something, and God has to shake us out of that. Because until 9-11 you know, you, comes along, and all of a sudden the churches are full for about two weeks, right? And it, it almost takes some kind of a tragedy like that. I was on a radio program some time ago, and they asked me what, what I thought was needed to see God send revival to America. And I, and I immediately said, economic collapse. I, I don't want that, but the best thing that could happen to America is economic collapse because we have served the God of gold, and, and we're not voluntarily bowing at the, at the altar of Christ, but we're bowing at the altar of our finances, and, and everything is, revolves around that. And so as long as it's not touching us personally, we kind of don't realize the great need we're in. We, we kind of put our blinders on. And there are some here who just think our church is okay, we're better than most churches, we're doing pretty good, my family's okay, my marriage is okay. Um, I don't want to see the reality of the condition that we're in as a church, as a nation, as a world. And so we don't think we need to be revived. There's some who don't want to be revived. They, they see the situation, but listen, if you know anything about revival, there's a cost to revival. There's a cost of brokenness and honesty and transparency, but there are two sides to revival. There's the joy side and the brokenness side. Everybody loves the joy side of revival, but you don't get to the joy side until you go through the brokenness side. 
I was in a meeting in Florida some time ago. One of the staff members, um, the first Sunday, his wife said, I'm not going to church. And, and he was a staff member, so he's kind of a little bit nervous about that. Well, she wrote me a letter um, toward the end of that meeting. It says this, I, I wasn't planning on coming to the revival. I didn't, think I, need, I didn't think I needed to be revived. I did need a tremendous blessing. I've been in a tremendous difficult time these last several months. She goes through and lists those. I, I, was in, I didn't need to be revived. I was too awake. I was in too much pain. I wanted to get in my bed, hide under the covers, and hope things get better. Some of us are kind of like that. The, the day revival started, I, I announced to my husband I was not going to go. Long, ugly story short, we went back and forth over this. Then he pulled out the submission card. Now, I was single for 32 years before I got married. And though we've been married for nine years, someone telling me I have to do something is like fingernails on a chalkboard to me. There comes a time to stop submitting and start outwitting. I was leaning heavily on the outwitting part. Submission to me was agreeing to do what Fred said than doing what I wanted to do anyway. It wasn't until Fred looked at me in the eyes and told me the reasons he needed me to come to this revival that my heart changed. I was no longer doing something because I was being told I had to. I was doing it because the man I love with all my heart needed me to. He wasn't being bossy. He was being a godly husband, leading his family in the way he saw that we needed to go. I did come, and almost immediately, God blessed me with a gentle peace, a strength I've never felt before. I surrendered everything to God. And along the way, I learned an important lesson about submission to my husband. Well, I hope in these days that there are some of you men that step up to the plate and say, this is something that God wants for our marriage, for our family, for our life. But some would say, I, I just don't want that. I'm not going to be around that. And then there's some people who don't think it's possible to be revived, maybe because of their theology or whatever. As I mentioned, three times in American history, we have seen God do a work in nationwide revival. And I believe that, that God is going to purify the bride, and, and as, as his desire is to do that, there's never been a greater opportunity for that to happen in my lifetime. Again, I don't know how old you are. I, I just celebrated last August the 14th anniversary of my 50th birthday. And so, uh, at least in, in, in my years, um, I've, I've not seen a time where we've been this desperate. But revival is as possible as the sun coming up tomorrow morning. You read through biblical history of revival. You can read through church history of revival. You can read through world history and American history. And revival is as possible as God is on his throne. And, and I hope that you'll come to that point. But, but some people just say, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's possible. I hope you're in this fourth group. I, I meet every place I go, a group of people who say, I don't want to miss a chance to see God do something in my life in a work of revival. And I believe there's some of you like that. And I hope that that spreads, that you're going to say, um, you, you may say, you know, I've, I've already had revival. And there's a, there's a verse, we won't turn there, but in Acts, you can if you want, but Acts 3.19, and it says this, it says, repent and return to truth. That, that's really what revival is. I'm not going to say anything to you that you haven't already heard. We're not here to bring some new truth, some, some new formula. You have a faithful pastor for 21 years who has opened the Word of God, and I'm not going to say anything that Mark hasn't already said. For most of us, it's not new truth we need. If most of us would obey one-tenth of what we know, we'd be spiritual giants. It's not new truth. We need obedience to the old truth. And so the problem is we're trying to look for some new formula when God says, here are some bait. You return to truth, and in that returning to truth, times of refreshing will come. Where does that time of refreshing come? 
Does it come by just going to church or by hearing your favorite singer or, or, or by reading a book or singing a song or praying a prayer? Times are refreshing. We have in our culture today the best of everything man can offer. We've got the best of music, the best of churches, the best of conferences, the best of speakers, the best of books, the best of TV ministry, the best of radio ministry, the best of the internet. We've got the best of everything. But in spite of all the best we have, something is missing. Actually, someone is missing. Because Acts 3.19 says, times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. And I believe that when God visits us with his presence, 10 seconds in God's manifest presence will do more for you than all the church services you ever attend in your entire life. The, the, the Puritans taught us that there, there are three aspects of God's presence. They said that the first aspect of God's presence is there's a, a general sense. I indwell heaven and earth, the Bible says, of God. There, there's not a mountain high enough, an ocean deep enough, a night dark enough that you can go to escape the all-seeing eye, the all-knowing mind of a righteous, holy God. So, so in that sense, God is here in his general presence. There's also a cultivated sense of God's presence. We just came from uh, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, church in the middle of farms, and they were out doing their farming and cultivating. And, and some of you are cultivating a relationship with God. You got up this morning, you've already opened this book. You've already read God's Word. You've already talked to Him. You do that every day. You're cultivating daily a relationship with Him. And that's great. And I hope by the end of these days, all of us will be doing that. And then there's the Puritan said a third sense of God's presence that they titled the manifest presence of God. In the Old Testament, the manifest presence of God dwelt in the Shekinah glory of God in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, over the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. And in our day, the Holy Spirit of God who indwells us, there are times where the presence of God visits a place. You ever been in a service where you just walked out and you didn't say that was a great message, great singing, great music. You said, what a great God. You just knew that God was there. We're in a meeting outside of Chicago and... Um, it was, the, it was a, kind of like this. Their, sanction, their, their, their um, auditorium was so small, they had meat in the gym. It's kind of a sim, similar deal to this. And we're in a service. And it was just one of those services where, where God just dropped in. And I'd given an invitation. We'd set aside a prayer room out the doors. And it was similar, real similar to this. And one of our team members got over those double doors. He told me after the service. He said, I got to those doors. He said, the presence of God, the sense of God's presence was so real, I didn't want to walk out of that room. I felt like if I was walking out of that room, I was going to be walking out of the presence of God. Listen, when, when God meets with us in, in that way, you'll, you'll know that, and your life will be impacted for eternity. We're in a church one time where the, the second Saturday, there's a little boy who'd come to a uh, teenager, young junior high guy, and he'd come to church all week, and his dad didn't come to church. And that, that Saturday, he said, Dad, you've got to come to church tomorrow. Dad said, why? He said, because God's there. That'd be great if that got out, if the word got out that God was here. I mean, that, that, that not, not, not that we were just talking about him, but he was doing things in our life that were impactful, life-changing. The presence of God. I was in a meeting in uh, Indiana, and um, the uh, associate pastor came to give a, a, a testimony, and 
he, he was in charge, they had a, a marquee out in front of their church, and he was in charge of changing the letters out there in the marquee. And he, he said a few weeks ago, I was out putting up the sign, and you know, life action, and here's the dates. He said, I didn't even know the name of the speaker, which was fine. He said, but here's what's happened in these days. This team has come, they've brought me into the presence of God, walked out, left me face to face with God. He said, my life will never be the same. Now, I hope in these days that you will let God minister to you in a way that will be life-changing. He wants to do that if, if we will give him that opportunity. So, so let's, let's real quickly define revival by, by telling you what it's not real quickly because, again, we have kind of a skewed view of revival. Revival is not evangelism. Evangelism is not bad. Evangelism is good. It's necessary. It's needed. But these are not days. These are for believers. Revival, new life. See, some of you don't need revival. You need vival, okay? You're lost. You just need life. But if you're, if you're a Christian, then you need re-life, new life, revival. So it's evangelism flows out of revival. Revival is not emotionalism. We're not going to have pack a pew night. You, you may think about revival and you think about people jumping over pews and rolling down aisles and barking like dogs or whatever. Um, the revival is not about, now listen, there's nothing wrong with emotions, but you don't act on your emotions. You may have emotions when you act, but this is not, you know, let's have a big emotional, you know, you know we want to learn how to live the Christ life so we live these principles, not just come in a one-time exposure. And then thirdly, it's not just excitement. I, I hope you're excited about these days. But, but that's, it, we, were in, we were scheduled to be in a church in Texas. The name of the church was Exciting Baptist Church. We never made it there because the church split before we got there. I guess it was too exciting. But and that's fine to name your church that, I guess. But uh, the, these are not just about excitement. These are about days where God wants to do something. If you will step inside that circle and say, God, change me. Turn to Exodus 33 real quickly. And I, I don't really have, I don't have time to do this justice. Um, but I, I just want to, you're familiar with this story probably anyway. Um, this is a time where the nation of Israel has come out of Egyptian bondage. They, they've wandered around a little bit and they, they come to the, um, they've gotten the Ten Commandments and then, and then they, he comes down and here's this golden calf. And, and so God just decides to wipe everybody out and start the whole thing over again. Moses intercedes on behalf of the people, prays for them. Uh, so don't kill them, God, you know, let's, uh, let, let's, let's take them on in. And so that, that's kind of the, the background. It, chapter 33. Here's what the Lord says to Moses. He says, depart, go here and the people that you've brought from the land of Egypt, the land shall I swear to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, so we see, first of all, in this verse, God had made some promises. God, God had said, I'm going I'm to I'm take you to this land flowing with milk and honey. You know, I, I'm going to do this. And, and, and then he says in the next verse, and I'll send an angel before you. I'm going I'm to protect you to drive out the Amorite, Hittite, Parasites, whatever. Uh, I'm going to drive at all these people, and uh, I'm, I'm going to give you my protection. And then in verse 3, he says, I will even provide what you need. I'm a, he provided them food. He provided their clothes. And some of you ladies would have hated this. They, they wandered around for 40 years in the wilderness, and their shoes never wore out. Can you imagine the same pair of shoes for 40 years? Some ladies can't wear the same pair for an hour. You know, you got to change them all the time. But anyway, same, but anyway they, he provided everything for them, but then there was one bad part of this in verse 3, but I am not going to go with you because you're so obstinate I might just destroy you in the way. I, I believe that, that revival is, is, is the presence of God visiting a place. In, in, in the presence of God in the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew word for the presence is the same as the face. 
In Psalm 80, the the psalm says, turn us again, O God, cause thy face to shine upon us. I remember we were at uh, Christmas uh, with our family some years ago, and our youngest son, Zach, um, was sitting next to me on the couch. And when you have six kids and grandkids and so forth, Christmas is chaos. And so I was sitting there by Zach, and and we were kind of watching, you know, just, uh, it was Christmas morning, and people were opening presents and playing and whatever, and and I was was vaguely aware that there was noise coming from his direction. Uh, And and pretty soon, I felt him reach up, grab my cheeks, and pull my head around and say, Dad, give me your face. He'd been trying to get my attention, but but he, he didn't have it. So to get my attention, he wanted my face. And, and the presence of God is the face of God. Revival is God turning his face to us and us turning our face to God. And when you come face to face in the presence of God, 10 seconds in that scenario will, will, will change your life. And, and the problem is we, we don't see much of the presence of God. We don't know much about the face of God. We don't turn your eyes upon Jesus. We don't do that. We've got our eyes turned so many other places. I'm not going to go with you. Let me tell you a couple things about the presence of God. That the presence of God is awesome. We use that word awesome for awesome slam dunks and awesome football plays. God is the only one that's really awesome. And, and we won't turn here, but in Psalm 97, it says that the presence of the Lord, the mountains melt like wax. It, it is an incredible thing to come into God's presence. Let's just say you got a phone call today, and it was from uh, um, President-elect Trump's um, uh, secretary, and, and uh, they said that, that President Trump, President-elect Trump is, is wanting to meet with four families from across the country. He wants to get some input. He's such a teachable guy. Uh, and so uh, he, he wants some input from you, and so he's going to meet with four families, and, and your family's been chosen, and so you're going to have lunch with, with Donald Trump and his wife, the president-elect, to give him input about how the country should be run for the next four years. Now, if you got a phone call like that, he's coming to your house next Sunday for Sunday dinner, what would you do? He might faint, number one, but, but after you picked yourself up, do you think you would tell anybody? I think you would. You'd be telling everybody that, that Donald Trump's coming to my house next Sunday. You'd say, Pastor, pray for me. I, I'm, I'm having this chance to give some input to, to the country. And, and you'd, you'd tell everybody. Do you think that if you had plans for next Sunday, you think you might change them? It's not too often you get to meet with, with the future president of the United States. I think you would change your plans. I think if you had a vacation, I think you'd change your vacation plans. You'd do it. Do you think you'd clean your house? It's going to be on national TV. You men would hate this. Everything your wife has wanted done the last five years would have to be done this week. <laughs> Paint that room, put, whatever. You'd even, you know that one closet where you open the door, all the games fall out? You'd even clean that one. I mean, what, what, if, what if Donald Trump opened the door in the game of life, hit him in the head, killed him? You know, everything would be cleaned, right? Now, now listen, I want to tell you, someone infinitely more important than the future president of the United States wants to come visit your life this week. And I I would think that at least the same preparation you would make for an earthly king, you'd make for the king of kings. I mean, if you would tell the world that that the president's coming, shouldn't you tell the world that Jesus is coming? If you would change your schedule to meet with the president, shouldn't you change your schedule to meet with the Lord? If you would clean up your house, to make a good impression on the present? Shouldn't you clean up your life for the holy, holy, holy God of the universe? 
See, see, see we have a, a skewed view of who's important. And, and, and the, the, the President of the United States, God sets up kings and tears them down. He is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, and it's an awesome thing to be in His presence. I'll tell you something else about the presence of God. It's absent. The presence of God is, is absent. It's absent in our, in our nation. We have basically said as a nation, God, we don't want you in our government. We don't want you in our schools. We don't want you. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Luther said that when God wants to judge a people, he gives them wicked leaders. And, and the presence of God is absence, absent in, in that. I, I was, uh, this is a, a survey, you don't, don't write these down, but these are some stats from a, from a, a survey just to, uh, about America. 55% of, of married couples committing adultery. Half a million living together just in one state alone. Just the whole issue of sex before marriage. I mean, you, you know these stats. It's just that the fact that we're going down uh, the, the, the wrong direction as a culture, as a nation. The, the, the fact that uh, the things that God says thou shalt not, we don't care about anymore. The stats on abortion are just, just staggering. It's become, become commonplace in our culture. It, it's not even something we hardly blink at anymore. The whole issue of gambling and, and, and just the, the things we do that we, we, we're trying to get rich quick in this culture. In this, in this survey where all these questions were asked, 62% professed to be Christians. So, so we call this a Christian nation. We are not a Christian nation. 62% of Americans are not Christians. If they were, we would not be in the condition that we are. In this same survey where 62% profess to be Christians, 91% profess to lying regularly. That is a true stat, right? And, and, the, and the point is, we have said as a culture, God, we don't really want you. He's absent in our government. He's absent even in our homes. Home today is kind of a place where you go where you're tired of being nice to people, right? And, and when God begins to do a work of revival, the first place it shows up is behind the doors of our home. And, and, and if you will walk through these days with us, there are some things that God wants to do in, in, in your home to, to bring about a, a, a place where, where God is honored. Some people think or kids think that God lives here in this building. God does not live at the church. God, God lives in us. Some of our homes are anything but a haven for God, a haven of holiness. We're going to address that during these days. And the fact is that many times he's even absent in our churches. Someone has said that if the Holy Spirit were taken out of the world today, 90% of what goes on in the church would continue unhindered because we can do it in our own strength. The presence of God. And then the presence of God, here's the good news, the presence of God is available. It's available. Times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. Back here in Exodus chapter 33, God says to Moses, I'm not going to go with you. <laughs> Look down at verse 13 if you have your Bible there. Exodus 33, verse 13. Moses says, now therefore I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I might know you. We're going to talk this week about knowing the ways of God. You will not embrace the will of God if you don't understand the ways of God. That I might find favor in your sight. Consider, too, this is your people. And then here's God in verse 14 speaking to Moses. My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses says this to God in verse 15. 
if your presence does not go with us, I'm not moving. Don't lead us up from this place. God, if you're not gonna go with us, if we're not gonna know your presence, then you might as well not even take us any place. I'm not going. Listen, if you can live without revival, you will. And there'll be some of you that'll say, I don't need this, I don't like, I don't like this, I don't like that, whatever, this is not for me, and you won't be here. I understand that. It's true in every church. But, but I hope there's a group of people here in these days that say, God, by your grace, I need you to do something in my life, in my family, in my marriage, with my kids, with my grandkids. I, I want you to do something in my heart, in my life. I want to tell you, God wants to do that more than you want it to happen. But, but you have to be willing. Now, now, now here's the, 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 don't write this down, but, but what, what does revival accomplish? This is an overview of what can be accomplished in your life in these days. Revival restores your first love. Some of us have lost our first love for Christ. It's not that we don't love him anymore. We just don't love him the way that we used to. It resolves conflicts. That there are people, some of you are at odds with people right here in this room or people in this community or family members at some other point and, and, and revival resolves conflicts. It rebuilds a love for God's word where, where God's word becomes the priority. So when you get up in the morning, the first thing you do is not look at your phone or look at your iPad or look at your computer. The first place you wanna go is the word of God. Revival repairs damaged emotions. Re revival removes bitterness some of us are, are so bitter. Listen, all bitterness is ultimately directed towards God because God has allowed the circumstances of your life and revival deals with that. It refreshes the spirit. Some of us just need a refreshing in the presence of God, those times of refreshing. You know, it, it, notice it says in Acts 3.19, times of refreshing. There are times. You may say, Steve, I've already done this. I had revival 20 years ago or 10 years ago. That's great. I'd love to hear about that. But, but the word is plural, times of refreshing. It's, it's like taking a bath. There are times to take a bath. You don't take one bath and say, see, that'll last me for a lifetime. I hope not. Uh, you know, there, there are times to take a bath, right? And there are times where God sets aside on his calendar. I, I don't think these days were planned by your pastor, by your staff, or by our staff. I believe these days were planned on the appointment book of heaven where God has chosen to meet with this people in these days. I hope you're not too busy with your thing to, to do what God wants to do, to, to refresh your spirit in these days. Revival reforms the life. It's, it's transformation. Time plus truth equals transformation. If we'll give God time and, and review and go back to the basics of his truth, that there, there will be transformation in our hearts. So here's what I want to ask for you in these next eight days. It's, a, it's, it's as simple as ABC. Attend every service. You say, Steve, preachers always say that. I, I know they do. In, in, a, in a normal uh, a meeting where it's a Bible conference or whatever, you can come one night, miss the next, because every night is self-contained. In these days, we're going to build a highway, a highway from heaven to our hearts, and every section of the road is important. It, and, and the one night that you say, oh, I'm not going to be here that night, that may be the very night that God wanted to use to impact your life. We were in a meeting in Indiana. There's a man who said, I committed myself to come each night. So I, I got to work on Monday and remembered I had a business appointment on Thursday in, in Detroit. This was in Indiana. And he said, I tried to change the meeting. I couldn't. I tried to see if I could fly to get up there and fly back in time for the meeting. Couldn't. He said, I ended up, ended up chartering a plane, flew to Detroit, had my meeting, 
lost money on the deal, but he said, I got back, I was in the service on Thursday night. He said, Thursday night, God changed my life. He said, I don't know what would happen if I would have missed Thursday night. Now, I found this, the greater the cost, the greater the sacrifice, the greater the obedience, the greater the blessing. And I know for some of you, it's gonna be great sacrifice and great cost for you to be here during these days. And I know for some of you, it won't be physically possible. For some of you, it won't be possible because of a job. And I'm, I'm not saying that you're a horrible person if you don't come back. All I'm saying is, ask God where he wants you to be. And if you are where God wants you to be tonight, I'm good with that. If God tells you to stay home and watch football, then you should do that. But wherever God tells you, uh, and, and some of you just can't be here, I understand that. But if you will say, God, Show me what you want, and how I will be in these days, where you want me to be. Tend every service. And then, secondly, obey the Holy Spirit. It's not what Steve says. You're going to meet Jimmy, our other speaker. It's not what Mark says. The issue is, what does God say? And anything that we say, if it is not passed through this book, you can throw it out. The, the, the final source of authority of these days is not what Steve says. It's not even what your pastor says. It's what this book says. And if you will obey the Holy Spirit of God and do what he says, these could be the most life-changing days you've ever experienced. So attend every service, obey the Holy Spirit, and then cry out to God in prayer. I, I, I talked with Ron. I know some of you have already been praying in these days, and that's great. Sometimes we say, man, we've been praying for these days. I've heard people say that to me already. Don't stop now. So well, the team's here, we'll let them pray. No, if anything, intensify that prayer. Leave that back up if you would. Uh, so, 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 so you make sure that you ask God, God, um, these are the things I want to do. And, and you cry out to God and, and ask him. Don't, don't abort the process. Continually cry out to him and ask him to do what only he can do. Now, I'm going to tell you, if, if, you'll, if you'll do that, you'll be amazed at what can happen in your life. If you'll let God have his way in your life. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I don't know where, where you're at this morning. You say, Steve, all I have to do is just, um, you know, attend every service and be obedient to the Spirit and cry out to God in prayer. That's all I have to do. I thought this was going to be tough. Now, the fact is, I asked the easy stuff. God asked the hard stuff. Are you satisfied with where you're at right now? I hope not. I'm not. I don't want to be the same person a week from now that I am today. I hope you don't either. What's the worst thing that could happen to you if you attended services, were obedient to the Spirit, and, 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 and prayed? What's the worst thing that could happen to you? Well, you might get a little less sleep. You might miss a few TV programs. You might be a little tired. What's the best thing? You, you could meet with God. You could experience, stepping inside that circle, the revival that you need, the refreshing of your spirit. And, and listen, if, if the family members that you're with will do that, your family could experience revival. I, I can't guarantee we're going to have nationwide revival this week. That's a sovereign act of God. But I can guarantee you this, you can meet with God in revival, and your life can be transformed. Just take a moment. And just say, God, that's my desire. I, I, I want to be a person who is open and attentive to your spirit. I, I know we need revival in our, in our nation. I know I need revival. And I want that. And I, I believe that your truth is, is just as viable today as it's ever been. 
and, and I'm not gonna miss a chance for you to do in my life what only you can do. Just talk to God for a moment, and then I'll pray. Father, I, I know that we live in a culture, a time where um, things look dark. And I'm reminded that light shines the brightest when the night is the darkest. And, and I know, Lord, that there are people here in this auditorium, I, I don't know the specifics, but I know there's, there's, they're hurting in, in many ways. And some have felt let down and betrayed. And some have even focused that anger and bitterness and resentment up to you. And I, I pray that in these days you would pull the scales away and that we would come to humility and brokenness to the point we'd step inside that circle and, and stop saying, it's, it's my brother, it's my sister. No, it's not them. It's me, oh Lord, that stands in need of prayer. And I, I pray that you'd visit us with your presence, whether it's in a service or waking people up in the middle of the night or this afternoon sitting in, in a chair, that God, you would, um, would intensify your work in our hearts in these days in ways that, that we would never get over. Not a, not a flash in the pan, but a life change. Start with this group of people that are hungry hearted enough even to be here for, for this moment. And as we talk about the, the first step in that process here, in the worship hour, would you just step by step bring us into your presence, change us for eternity, and we'll give you praise. In the name of Jesus, I pray.